Make their Christmas unforgettable with goat guns. Looking for the perfect gift for your husband or man who is a gun lover? Look no further. Goat guns are the greatest gift of all time miniature gun models. They are the perfect blend of quality and detail. From pistols to rifles, there's a goat gun for every collector, history buff, or gamer. Whether for display or for a fun collecting hobby, goat guns will bring joy and excitement to him. Surprise your loved ones this Christmas with a goat gun, the ultimate gift that won't disappoint. Shop at goatguns.com. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. You enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Patrick Coots about helping employees to respond to technological disruption of the workplace. Patrick Coots, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on the call, John. It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from London. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about helping employees to respond to technological disruption in the workplace. We know that the rate of change is increasing. It's been exponential over the last couple of years in particular, but really the the shifting nature of work has been influenced by technological disruptions for a really long time. People often talk about how we're in the fourth wave of the Industrial Revolution, for example. So this is just a new type of disruption uh, driven by AI, machine learning, advanced robotics, and other forms of automation. Uh, And then the question is, how do we adapt to this and how do we embrace it in a way that we can leverage it to help everyone to live their best lives do meaningful work and ultimately help organizations prosper as well as the humans within those organizations. As we get started, I wanted to share Patrick's bio with everybody. Patrick Coots spent nearly 20 years in teaching before co-founding Mindstone. As a teacher of philosophy and ethics, Patrick's mission is to bring about uh, eudaimonia. Is that how you say that? (laughs) It is, but it's an ancient Greek word. So you know what, say it however you like. Yeah, that is fun. Uh, And that is the flourishing of human potential through learner-centered education. At its heart, learning is about making links both between ideas and between people. Patrick co-founded Mindstone to put the learner at the center of the learning process, grounding Mindstone in the real-world experience of learners and educators. Outside the classroom, Patrick is a songwriter and musician with three albums recorded to date. 
He's a writer with one science fiction novel and a distance runner with three marathons so far. These past times reflect his creativity, his precision and tenacity, all of which are essential for helping people become better learners. I love all of that, including pastimes, the hobbies. That's fantastic. Anything else you would like to share with me or my listeners by way of your background before we launch on into the conversation? Um, Only just to say that my background in teaching presents me with an unusual experiential perspective on the tech industry that I have entered and on the world of work. My career showed me the way in which our education system does a poor job of preparing people for the world of work. And the university system into which I fed uh, high school students, I was responsible for, for K-11 and 12, uh, likewise is, is poorly matched for the workplace that comes after it. And so that formed the, the basis of my drive and my passion to want to uh, bridge that gap and help people to thrive and flourish in the workplace. And although our platform is intended for everybody, we're starting with adult learners. So the listeners to your podcasts uh, may well find that what I have to say about our platform, as well as my experience and insights into learning, are of some relevance to them. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, and, I re- and I'm in the space, um, not ed tech specifically, but I'm a professor. Mm-hmm. I'm in the educational space. I do uh, training and learning and development in the corporate space as well. Um, I see the huge value in the overlap here and in designing systems that are better suited uh, for adult learners. Uh, So I'm super excited to unpack all of that together with you today. All right, so let's go ahead and dive on in and talk a little bit more specifically about Mindstone, uh, how this came about uh, as you were working uh, with your partner, co-founding this, um, the types of offerings you provide, and ultimately the the need you're trying to address, the, the problem you're trying to solve. Okay, so first of all, a little bit of a background. I first met my co-founder and chief exec, Joshua, back in the summer of 2019. And he was just coming to the end of his time with his previous startup called Super Awesome. It was the large, world's largest kids tech company. And it was uh, just in the process of being sold to Epic Games. And he was thinking about the next project that he wanted to work on. And he was excited about education. And he was introduced to me as a uh, head of a sixth form, the last two uh, years of British high school, as somebody with some hands-on practical experience. And we got talking about learners and learning, about learner-centered models of uh, education. And um, those conversations flourished into a friendship and ultimately into an idea of building a learner-centered platform that would not represent an institution like an employer or a university, but rather represent and serve the learner themselves. And our goal from the start and to this day is to unlock the power of self-directed learning, of of informal learning driven by the curiosity and passion of the learner themselves, both to develop themselves in the workplace and to make themselves more employable, but also in their broader uh, curiosity and drive to, to learn more and to enrich themselves. So that's, that's the top level mission to unlock the power of informal learning. Now, Mindstone is not a content provider, nor are we a content curator. In this world of information superabundance, most people in the workplace with any degree of curiosity have got more content than that to consume than they could possibly get through. Uh, 
The challenge is rather to surface the valuable content and the important ideas from that tidal wave of information that we all have to navigate and to extract value from it in the form of insights that you can share with other people or draw together into a thesis for yourself. So Mindstone allows you to take your podcasts, your blog posts, your YouTube videos, your email newsletters, your web pages and your academic papers, put them all into a single place, the Mindstone platform. And from there, surface the important things. We have an algorithm to identify what's likely to be important. Discard the stuff that you're never going to get to because you're going to run out of time. Go through the content using tools to speed up the process, such as uh, text to speech. So you can listen to an academic paper summary tool, which which extracts the key points to help you take notes. Smart highlighters that allow you to identify the key pieces of information within the text with labels that you apply yourself and then uh, pull those together. And finally, collaborative learning through shared workspaces where you and your colleagues, peers, friends can bring content together and discuss it with Google Docs style comments and, uh, and discussion. So what I'm describing there is a very simple idea. Ultimately, there's unlimited content out there. We're going to help you get more out of it. And that's the, 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 the starting point of our platform. Everything I've just described to you is live on the platform today and free for anybody to sign up and try. And in the long term, our ambition is to extend that and make it useful to everybody by beginning to detect the patterns uh, in content consumption in order to suggest further reading and help people to find out the next thing they should look at. And also to build a signaling mechanism where employers can look at the record of your self-directed learning and make a judgment about your suitability for a role based on your curiosity, your resilience, your resourcefulness, your ability to reflect on your own practice. So in the first instance, Mindstone is going to build something called Pulse, which is going to provide feedback directly to, to you, to the learner. And in, over time, once we've validated the, the, the value of that signal, we will also make it possible for that signal to be made public to employers to show that you are an effective learner and not just what you learn, but how you've learned it and what qualities that shows as a learner. So that's kind of a top level overview of yeah. everything we're trying to build. Yeah, that is super cool. I love the, you know, I'm, I'm an academic, so I, I do read a lot of academic papers. I do text to speech sometimes that mm. has been getting better and better uh, in the past. It wasn't as useful, um, but tools like that. I love the note-taking tool uh, to pull out mm. key points. That's super helpful. Uh, and I, I think of that just in terms of the work I do as a researcher and as an academic, but I can imagine um, you know, anyone outside of academia, just showing up to work, trying to reskill, trying to upskill, trying to stay relevant, trying to, you know, learn the newest things that come out. Uh, time is always the issue. So I think a lot of people really love to consume. I think that's one of the reasons why podcasts are doing so well is because people love to consume um, meaningful content. And yet when it's all written, it, sometimes that's harder to digest or it's harder to, to wade through. Uh, so anything to help facilitate that, I think is fantastic. It sounds like your platform is excellent uh, for that purpose alone, uh, in addition to the other aspects that you described. So uh, that, that's wonderful. And I'm wondering, generally speaking, what you're seeing in terms of the shifts in the learning and development space in mm. 
in the corporate world, you know, at, lots of organizations are focusing on reskilling and upskilling their workforce. Right now, it's hard to get good people. There's huge skills mm. gaps in many different industries and many types of work, uh, many occupations, uh, and, and organizations are scrambling to try to find good people. Uh, and, and the reality is there's just not enough skilled people in some of those areas. And so they have to move to reskilling and upskilling. Um, and this kind of a platform coupled with the types of resources uh, that can help people to do that sounds like a tremendous value for organizations. So maybe describe a little bit more about what you're seeing in the learning and development space. Well, as a, I, I want to preface my answer here with uh, a reminder that Mindstone is not a platform for employers at present. Um, we exist to serve the, the, the self-directed learners. So anybody who's ambitious, who considers himself a work athlete, who wants to consume a lot of content and got to get a lot of value out of it and progress in their own lives, Mindstone is a tool that can potentially help them. We are not in the business, at present at least, of signaling that and tracking and uh, uh, that progress for an employer. Um, and part of the reason for that is an ideological one, because as you know, a lot of learning and development provision is simultaneously about command and control and about compliance. And even the most uh, idealistic and passionate L&D uh, experts know that their industry has got this dual nature that while they may be passionate about learning and development, at the same time, employers want to tick boxes and check off progress and, and secure compliance. And that is often incompatible with the uh, drive to upskill and to, to really increase the value of, uh, of employees. So I've, I have a great deal of sympathy for people in the L&D space for that, that difficult line that they're having to walk. Can I just add that? Can I just add there? Um, that that's been you know my experience is I've I've seen learning systems within organizations, and it seems like more often than not, they become compulsory. They become it's it's about compliance. It's mm. about checking boxes, and any intrinsic motivation that employees may have had already within themselves to to learn and to grow and to to develop in in new areas. As soon as it becomes compulsory, uh, that turns to an extrinsic type of motivator, which just isn't as powerful, and it's not going to be sustainable for people if they're really trying to to reskill and upskill. So I totally get what you're saying; uh, makes a whole lot of sense. On the other hand, I totally get how organizations would love to ha- to be able to utilize a platform like this to help in the mm-hmm. L and D process with their people. Uh, so I'm not sure, you know, if that tension can be resolved. Um, but it, it seems like perhaps an opportunity. Yeah, John, this is a really tricky one and, and one that we as a company wrestle with. Now, as I said, we are driven in part here by our values because we want to position ourselves as, as learner-centric and the extrinsic uh, drive of the employer to, uh, to, to upskill their, their workforce, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with that as an ambition, but, but it's something that, that we have found up till now, at least, that we can't serve two masters. And so that, that has, made, has, has made that decision for us at this stage. Now, the point at which it sort of bubbles up and becomes a spontaneous phenomenon, because Mindstone is a collaborative learning tool, 
because anyone can invite anybody to a workspace and collaborate with them in that workspace, uh, adding resources, uh, annotating them uh, and discussing them. This is something which has the potential within organizations to, to have that transformative impact. But we want to see that from the ground up, bubbling up from the, the individual uh, users. And when you look at a, a network, a heavily networked phenomenon like uh, Slack, for example, Slack's takeoff point, their inflection point was the realization that within organizations, you only needed three nodes in a, in a, in a nascent network for Slack to, to, to begin to thrive. Um, but they needed to be tightly connected nodes, so three people on the same team, for example. And we see very much the same phenomenon with Mindstone, that if two or three people on the same team can make a workspace together and begin using it, it's valuable to them. And the employer quite often will say, hey, this is interesting, can we see? And they say, yeah, sure, come on in, but it's, but it's ours, we own this. And that's, that's quite a, a nice dynamic. Going back to the challenge of technological transformation and the need for upskilling, I would, I would just throw in one further observation for you uh, and for your listeners to reflect upon, which is the challenge that, uh, for employers of hiring great talent or finding great talent. And the difficulty of that is partly to do with the fact that, that very often employers are looking for a combination of the right skills, the right knowledge and the right attitude to learning, and the right learning skills, and also the right values. And that is a wish list where you're never And, and the right experience too, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and then they and have the a right list of like 10 years of experience and all these things. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, so unsurprisingly, that, that employers are then saying, well, we can't find the talent. Now, I it is my view, and, and fire will not burn this from me, that you can drop the prior knowledge and you can drop the current skill set from that wish list because a person with the right attitude to learning, the belief and desire to learn, and also the right learning skills, that's to say that they know how to learn, can upskill rapidly and adapt to any situation. Whereas if you go after the current knowledge base and skill set, it's going to be obsolete in 18 months anyway. So why fixate on that very short-lived uh, value when you can instead focus your hiring policies on getting people who are hungry to learn. I so agree with that comment. And, it, you know, as an HR person in, in the HR space, I, it drives me nuts when I see, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the job postings that are out there and the required qualifications list mm-hmm. that so often is just nonsense. Uh, and not only is it nonsense because it's, it's a wish list that, you're almost never going to find anyone who checks all those boxes, but it becomes mm-hmm. a huge inclusion issue and an equity and diversity issue. Yep. Um, there's lots of research that shows that men, for example, when they see the required uh, list, you know, the, the list of requirements, they will mentally think, oh, I check off maybe half the boxes. I'm going to go ahead and apply. Women, on the other hand, in aggregate, they tend to look at it and they say, well, if I don't check off 90 plus percent of those boxes, I'm not even going to bother applying. And so then you disproportionately have more men getting those types of positions, even though the women are just as qualified, if not more qualified than the men. So that becomes a huge issue. I mean, it's just really nonsensical and it's an artifact of the past. And I Mm -hmm. honestly, we need to do away with it because it it just really hamstrings organizations from getting great people uh, and choosing the right people. Uh, So focus, like you said, focusing on learning 
uh, mindset, on growth mindset, on abundance mindset, on, on those sorts of things where someone comes into the organization energized, ready to learn and grow, uh, you know, they have to have a baseline level of skills and competencies to be able to learn and grow in that particular area. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, if you can bring people in with that baseline and then help train them and, and help develop them, you're going to be in great shape. Uh, yet most organizations aren't willing to, to do that. Yeah, I, 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 I'm going to brag for a moment here and I apologize for this. It's not a very British thing to do, but I came from teaching. And so I didn't have the track record, the experience as a, as a tech founder or as a head of product or as a chief learning officer. And I came in with zero knowledge and a massive hunger and drive to learn. And a few months after we started, one of our advisors, who's the former head of growth of eBay, a guy called Matt Lerner, um, was talking to us and to, to, to the chief exec. And he was like, where did you find this guy? If you had used any kind of ordinary hiring metrics, you would never have given him a job. What were you thinking? They're talking about me. Um, and, and that's the truth of the matter is that, that my co-founder and chief exec had to see in me, not the knowledge, cause I didn't have any, not the skills, didn't have that either, but the passion and the hunger and the willingness to learn and a demonstrated track record of being a learner. And of course, the thing is that that is something which you not only can you bank it, right? If you can show that you've learned how to do something whether it's run a marathon or record an album or write a novel, that shows tenacity, that shows curiosity, that shows you've got the the, the eye for detail. And so even though none of those things are anything to do with my working life, those were the things that got me the job. And I think that that's that's the the, the mindset we need to, to, to look at hiring. I would also, I'd say one other thing, I've got a bit of a bee in my bonnet about interviews. And I want to talk to you in, in that, thread about inclusion and identity that if we hire people based on interviews we end up hiring people because we like them no matter how much we might dress it up in in some semi-formally uh, uh derived set of questions we form judgments about people and and they don't stand up to scrutiny um the i i, I read some research on this recently that the uh, reliability or the validity of hiring decisions in, based on interview is is about is about eighteen percent. Okay, on a, on a zero to one scale, it's about zero point one eight. Um, psychometric testing can be anywhere from you know zero point three up to about zero point five five. Okay, so we should we should just be abandoning the interview altogether and asking ourselves, okay, what's the evidence? What's the psychometric test telling us about what kind of person this is? And let's make a judgment based on that and not let ourselves make judgments based on, well, this person looks like me. Yeah, yeah I, I, just- I had a a colleague once who he told, you know, he was really proud of his own, his imagined power of discernment, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's so he's an executive and he'd hire a lot of people. And he's like, you know what I've, I've learned over the years, my, the, the surefire way to make the right hire is to, when I'm interviewing the person to imagine who would I like to go camping with for a weekend and whoever I can say that about oh. is the right person. And exactly. It's like face palm moments. I'm like, oh my gosh, 
you're just asking for lawsuits. Uh, you're you're mm. not, you're going to make bad hiring decisions. You're only hiring people that are like you, that look like you, that talk like you, that act like you. Um, and, and you're going to have diversity, equity, inclusion issues. It's just a huge problem. And you're absolutely right. The research shows there's tons of research on this, that interviewing is the worst uh, tool to effectively select and hire the right person to perform well in a job. Yet it's the number one tool that we use more, you know, bigger organizations. Sometimes they'll have a variety of different things that they use and they'll use work samples and psychometric testing and other things as well. Um, But a lot of organizations, in fact, in the U S 80% of people work for small businesses, small businesses just interview for the most part. And, and so what, what are they making their decisions based off? It's all those implicit biases that are embedded in their brains that they're not even fully aware of. Uh, and, and then they're just hiring people that they're comfortable with and hiring someone you're comfortable with isn't necessarily a bad thing, but if that's all you're doing ever, then you're going to yeah. end up, uh, without having uh, good diversity in your team and your organization is going to suffer from it. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I will admit that because we are a small team, um, and although we are culturally diverse, we're not as diverse as I'd like us to be. This is partly a function simply of our size. Most members of our team have worked together at one time or another in the past because it's through those networks that we've been able to attract talent. So I, I'm, I'm not making excuses for us because I think as, as a team of 10, it's, it's not surprising that we're in that position. But you know how it works with culture. If you don't set out to, to, to consciously decide it, 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 it happens to you. And this is a challenge on our horizon that we need to go into with our eyes wide open that, uh, to, to avoid exactly that kind of replication of, uh, of, of the same kinds of people and the same kinds of groupthink that emerges. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 we're not innocent as a company on that. It is, it is something that we're aware of, but it's, it, it's, it's super hard, right? Um, I, would, I would just also make the further observation that there are two things that are often seemingly in com- conflict, which is cultural fit versus diversity and inclusion, where tight-knit teams with a shared set of uh, values and a shared um, sense of mission and purpose are often lauded as the, 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 the model to aspire to, that that's what you want. You want a team of, of missionaries, not mercenaries. And but yet at the same time, if you if you want diversity, that's going to mean uh, people whose reasons for coming to this party are are, are not the same as yours. And uh, there isn't an easy way of squaring that circle. There isn't there's no no glib solution that I can give you on that. But I think it's important just to go into it mindful of, uh, of, of where you sit in each hiring decision between a good fit that's going to cause minimal friction and a challenging fit that's going to cause productive friction and drive you to do better and be better. Um, one thing I will uh, say in, in concluding is that I, my team has got uh, some colleagues from Switzerland, from the Netherlands, uh, and from other European countries with very, very distinct cultures, including very distinct cultures around communication and bluntness and directness, the Dutch are famously the most blunt and direct people in Europe. Um, and that's something that we see every day in our company. And it's hugely refreshing and helpful to have that cultural diversity 
causing friction but actually causing really really productive friction so yeah that's yeah. That, that, that's been a learning journey for me i love that idea of productive friction uh, again there's lots of research on this about uh, uh conflict and, and people try to avoid mm. conflict and you know so we can replace friction with conflict lots of research on this uh if it's completely unhealthy conflict of course we don't want it but we need a certain level of conflict otherwise mm. we're not pushing each other to learn and grow and everything we've been talking about is is about embedding a learning culture and then utilizing the tools like like what you do in your organization utilizing the tools to support uh and, and facilitate that learning culture but developing that learning culture that growth mindset that abundance mindset uh, uh, uh leaning into inclusion and those sorts of things uh where we don't get stuck uh you know, with the status quo and just what, with what we're comfortable with. If we're comfortable, we're not learning. Right. And so that's what we, Mm -hmm. that's the message we need to hit home over and over and over again with everyone uh, in our teams, uh, everyone uh, that we interact with. And certainly for myself, I hope that I never become stagnant. I hope that I never become passive and complacent uh, in my own career and my own learning. Absolutely. Now I want to share a concrete example of what we do as a team to make ourselves very uncomfortable indeed and i hope that your listeners will will uh find this interesting it's certainly been the most transformative thing for us we believe in the power of feedback to transform people's performance and we have a requirement within our company that every single one-to-one meeting includes two-way feedback about how the other person can perform better with a specific situation-based uh, statement of what the behavior was, what the impact of that behavior was, and what suggestions might be for improvement. So far, so boring. I think most companies do this. But here's where we're radical. The recipient of that feedback is encouraged, in fact, more or less expected, to then publish that feedback publicly to the entire team, both the feedback they received and their response to it. Now, if that came from the person giving the feedback, it could be a humiliating and painful thing. But the deliberate choice that we make to have the recipient of the feedback own it and make the choice, and it is somewhat of an expectation, but they don't have to, but they can make that choice to put it out there for the rest of the team has a number of massive benefits. Number one, the ownership of that diffuses the emotional component and makes it about the performance of the team and of of the individual within the team. Number two, the transparency means that everybody from the chief exec down is receiving tough feedback, which everybody can see is taking place. And there are no closed doors behind which the leadership team yell at each other because the feedback is exchanged in a professional way and, and shared. And finally, A third party, a colleague who was neither the giver nor the receiver of the feedback, can dispassionately look at that feedback and say, oh, hang on, that applies to me. They are not emotionally invested, so it doesn't involve any emotional strain to see that and think, oh, I can learn from this. And so instead of stepwise individual pairs of people giving and receiving feedback, the whole team collectively form a a, a learning group. Um, and through that radical transparency, all of us are able to progress and learn from each other. Now, this is a very frightening thing for, for new people when they join. And I think our most recent hire couldn't quite believe when we said that we did this. And then they saw it, the feedback channel 
on our Slack in which this was actually happening. And they had this moment of, oh, my God, they really they really do. Um, so it is tough, but it is the most powerful method that we have found of building a learning culture where we really walk the walk. I love it, Patrick. What a fantastic example. This has been a really fascinating conversation. I know at the time I need to let you go, but before we wrap things up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. So uh, first of all, the website of the company is www.mindstone.com. That is, of course, the same Mindstone as uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I have no idea why they never trademarked it, but we got the trademark. And so we are mindstone.com. You can reach me, uh, Patrick, at mindstone.com. And of course, I'm easy to find also on LinkedIn and Twitter. And my closing remark to your listeners would be, if you're a work athlete and you're wanting to get more value out of optimizing your information diet to save time, to get more done, to get ahead and stay in front, then check out Mindstone. It's completely free and it's a platform that can help you to learn faster and remember more. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Patrick. It's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Patrick and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. 